everyone. Thanks for tuning in. We want to invite you to learn more about the heart and vision of City of Lights. So check out our website at cityoflights.church and find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at City Lights Indie. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy today's message. Well, this morning, um, this morning, I'm really excited about this morning. Well, first of all, before I get on this morning, how many of you were here on our baptism Sunday last week? Wasn't that awesome? Um, so if you weren't here last week, last week was the beginning of our About That Life series. It was week one, and one of the things that we laid and we uh, communicated last week is the importance and one of the key components to operating in and living in resurrection life is that first there must be death. There must be a death to self, a death we must uh, put to death and, to, and bury the old self that was uh, driven by ourselves and sin and shame and so that we can rise in the life, the resurrection life in Jesus. And this was demonstrated through the work of water baptism. And we baptized 11 people last week, um, which was absolutely amazing. Uh, so many great stories, so many great testimonies. One of uh, the young men I got to baptize was my little boy, Judah Wade Owens, my third son. And so uh, we've been encouraging him this week as we've come against the flesh at times to remind him that now he is living in resurrection life. So let's put that to death, young man. Put that attitude to death. Uh, but it was a great, it was a great, great um, Sunday. And uh, today... We want to continue from there, and just so you all know, I'm referring to my notes on my phone. I'm not playing Angry Birds right now, um, but uh, my iPad just died, so God bless it. Uh, but today, I want to get into a topic that sometimes we talk about, uh, we talk about you know, dying to self and coming alive in Jesus. The next step, it, it, we know that it's not over. Everybody say, it's not over. It's not over. That we are just beginning to scratch the surface of what this life is all about. You see, if resurrection life, if, if, if the whole of salvation was just to get out of hell, then once you gave your life to the Lord, God would just take you out. Boom. Done. But that's not it. Because he actually desires for us, those whom he loves and those whom he came to save, that we, just like his intent was from the very beginning, would walk with him and be a part of the work of redemption in the earth. And so we get saved in a moment, but now we get enlisted in a movement, a movement of redemption throughout the earth. And there's a way in which God wants us to go about doing that. Now today, and much throughout this series, we'll be looking at the book of Colossians, to be our source text for this series. And when we think about it, I just want to give you a little bit of history and background about this book. So the book of Colossians was a letter. It was a letter written by Paul, or some say it was uh, orated by Paul, communicated it, and Timothy dictated it as it was sent to Colossae. Now, it took place during Paul's ministry in Ephesus. And Paul had an incredible ministry in this city called Ephesus. Ephesus was a metropolitan epicenter at this time. One, three of the main reasons it was such, and such an attractional city and community, was because it was a port city. 
Second of all, it was because it was a port city, it was also a center of commerce. There was a lot of business and transactions taking place, lots of trades and deals that were taking place here. But it was also the home of the temple Diana. So it was not only a port city, it was not only an epicenter for business and culture, but it was also a center for idol worship. Uh, it, it, it was in some ways kind of like a New York City, you know, port city, you got Wall Street, you got Lady Liberty, whatever, God bless it. Uh, but it was, a very, it was an epicenter. And so here, Paul is having a thriving ministry, and because, during, one, during his ministry, a young man by the name of Epaphras comes and he's visiting uh, he's visiting Ephesus, and not only does he hear the gospel preached and declared, but it cuts him to the heart. He gives his life to the Lord, and now he is on fire with this new word in this way. He gets trained, and then he goes back home to his hometown of Colossae. Now it's here that he begins sharing this to others, friends, family, those that would listen, and this small church begins to form. It's a church plant. This community is growing, and the majority of this community, they're not Jews, they're Gentiles, which at this time it was kind of like the, the church was birthed out of Judaism and out of the Hebraic uh, family line. And now Paul's mission was to preach this gospel to all people, that it was for all people of all, uh, of all ethnicities and all backgrounds. And so here is this young community that is forming. Now what we're going to see here shortly is that in the midst of this young and forming community of faith, they were experiencing much of the pressures that we experience as well. Pressures, external pressures of cultural syncretism, a culture that either didn't believe that there should be any absolute truth at all, or those that believe that we just need to believe everybody, all the same thing, everything's on equal footing, and we're just going to, uh, we're just going to neuter and obliterate any semblance of conviction, and certainly any uh, uh, declarations that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so at the beginning of his introduction, in his introduction, Paul says this prayer, and that's where we want to begin here this morning. So if you would turn with me in your Bibles or your technology to Colossians 1, we're going to begin in verse 9. And so from the day we heard, this is Paul speaking of hearing of this amazing community, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you, our God, has revealed yourself. Lord, you have revealed yourself and you make yourself known. Yes, we acknowledge that there are mysteries and things that we will not fully understand until we see you face to face once more. But yet, you have not abandoned us. You have drawn near. You have given us your word. You have given us your spirit. 
you've given us a family. And so, Lord, I'm asking that you would help us this morning, that you would open up our eyes to see your ways, that you would open up our hearts to receive your work, and, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, to be the people that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Anything, anything that is worth something, there is a way to achieve it. Anything that's worth making, there is a way to do it the right way. Now, I understand there might be some variations here and there, but overall, if you want to make something right, there's a way to do it. We have learned this particularly on social media when it comes to macaroni and cheese. There is a way that you make macaroni and cheese, and there is a way you definitely do not make macaroni and cheese, right? You can have variations. Maybe you want to put a little bit of Italian breadcrumbs on top, you know, have a little crust, a little texture. I know some people, you know, if you're really trying to do it right, if it's like for the holidays, you're trying to fancy it up, you got to put it in the oven. you got to bake that. How many, how many bakers do we have? How many people put it in the oven? you got to put it in the oven. you got to get that crust right. You know, every once in a while you put a little variation, put some meat. Anybody put meat in their macaroni and cheese? Maybe you put a little bacon. God bless bacon. He's called it clean. Let us be blessed, blessed, blessed. Maybe you put some bacon. Maybe you throw some cheese and maybe a little sausage, a little andouille sausage. The people coming from Louisiana. Maybe I've had, I have had macaroni and cheese with pulled pork, bless God. Oh, I'm dead. I mean, down south there was this place there was this barbecue truck that they had this sandwich, and it was an open-faced sandwich with macaroni and cheese and barbecue pulled pork and a nap on the side. Like, you just have to take a nap afterwards. There's no, no work is going to be done after it. However, you'd have thought Food Network knew better. But then there was a video of Food Network up here putting vegetables in macaroni and cheese. Y'all, Exactly. Exactly. Somebody should have told them, that is not macaroni and cheese, that is not casserole. You have jacked up the recipe. And then, just when we thought it couldn't get any worse, somebody went and put blueberries in macaroni and cheese. Oh, my gosh. I'm telling you, the levels of depravity, it was amazing. So we know there, you can make macaroni, there's variations, but you would not, you ought not put in vegetables or fruit into macaroni and cheese. There is, that is not the way. That is deception, right? That is deception. And, and, and the reality is, is like you can have something, but it has to be done the right way. It's the right way. You know, uh, recently, this week, my sons, Judah and Johnny, our youngest two boys, they started playing t-ball. And, uh, you know, T-ball, when, when you get into those early levels of youth sports, you know, the level of education and coaching can vary quite drastically. You know, you might be lucky that maybe your coach happens to be like the son of a coach of a coach and they are addicted and they drink and eat and live and breathe the MLB and, and they're all about baseball and they know everything to do about it. Or... You might be uh, not so blessed, and you end up realizing that there is no coach for your team, and that we're all going to group coach, and every person, every parent is going to be a coach, and so that happened to be us right now. The Lord's working out things in us, and, uh, and so we show up, 
And this guy who kind of runs some things in the league, he goes, okay, uh, we, I'm kind of your coach, which anytime you have a kind of coach, it's not a great situation. Uh, I'm kind of your coach, and you know what? We're going to get everybody involved. So we've got five different baseball stations. Here we've got a tee station. Here we've got a live pitching station. Here we've got a throwing station. Here we've got a fielding station. And uh, I don't know if any of you know anything about baseball, but just pick a station. And he literally, I mean, he literally just goes, just you know, just pick a station. Which one do you want? And, and, and I'm just, I know a little bit. My wife knows a little bit. Thankfully, she kind of comes from a bit of a baseball family. But literally, it's just kind of like, eh, not sure how this is going to work out. But we're it. And so whatever way we came up with was what was going to be taught that day. And more than likely, just that kind of happenstance is not going to produce the next all-star. All right? Because there's just some ways that were out of whack. You know, uh, a way matters. And if, if there's something worth doing, something worth building, something worth living, it's a good thing to figure out what's the right way to do it. Would you agree? And so when it comes to certain things tonight, anybody going to be here at our 80s party tonight? We got our 80s party going on tonight. So one of the things I'm super excited about is we have a hip-hop b-boy crew coming, 317. And they're coming, they're going to do some instruction, they're going to do some demonstration. We got a live DJ, it's going to be hype, it's going to be live, come, show up, turn up. Uh, but they're going to do a demonstration. Why do I want them to do a demonstration? Because I want you all to see there is a way, if you want to really learn how to do something, there's a way to learn certain things. Now, I've got a video clip here. I want you to see this is the New York City Breakers, particularly when breakdance became very popular in the 80s. There was, it was an important thing to know what it was. A lot of times you hear people using terms like, oh, yeah, I'm all about the hip-hop. I pop, I lock. And you're like, oh, okay. Uh, so I want you to see there is a way. You're going to see a way to do this. So let's go ahead and play that first clip. Ladies and gentlemen, homeboys, homegirls, the New York City Breaker. <laughs> If you wanted to learn 
the way to B-Boy, you wanted to watch these guys, right? Because they know what they're doing. They're excellent in what they do. You can tell that they've put effort in. You can tell that they've learned the right way to do it. Now, unfortunately, not everybody was blessed to have the New York City Breakers to educate them on the ways of b-boying and hip-hop. And if you happened to not be one of those people, maybe you would have found somebody who had a way to do it, but not the way. Perhaps you had this person as your instructor. Let's show that clip. Death Jam. Hey, I'm Dina. Look at my feet. My feet are straight ahead. You don't want to do that. You want to turn your feet out. I'm going to do this backwards. And that's what makes it look like hip-hop. What this is with hip-hop is everything's down low. It all is in a plie. I think the first thing that you need to know about hip-hop, it's all about your posture. And you know, growing up, my posture was really bad. My mom used to tell me all the time, stand up straight, stand up straight. Well, you know what? I was standing up straight. And hip-hop is this. One, two, three, four, hit, ah, and ah. The, the more relaxed you are, that's what makes a hip-hop. This is the first thing I will say to you. You want to do hip-hop? You got to stand like this. In a hip-hop head, we have this. Boom, bam, every time. Uh, uh, or uh, uh. Your hands are always ah, like this. Start out just hitting it, hitting it, hitting it, ah. This is what we call popping, ah, straight, ah, straight. I went to this club, right, and um, they had no baggy pants and no sneakers. I was wild. I, could, I didn't know what to think about that. I took some of this from an African piece. Um, in the African piece, it was like this, but in hip-hop, it's like this. See, there's a difference. All right, we can stop it there. The ministry, the ministry is, is over for that part. So you can look at these. Now, God bless her. I just got to give a shout out. God bless Dina Rizzo. That's who her, what her name is. She is not nameless, faceless. And that was early on, and she stuck with it, and God has helped her. So she was not forever lost. She was just stepping out. She's learning. She's growing. But clearly there was a way that had some gaps, some holes, some things that were probably syncretized from her own experience, a.k.a. inserting a plie into hip-hop. <laughs> Different dance form. But, and we laugh at that, and it's fun, and it's funny, but for some reason, when it comes to certain things, whether it's learning a sport, playing a board game, following a recipe, learning a profession, we are a little bit more accustomed to or welcoming of a way of doing things that we oftentimes bristle at when it comes to a life of faith. And immediately we can kind of, our hair can raise, we can kind of get red flags anyone, anytime someone tries to tell us a way to do things. Or if we hear this word, and this word, uh, for some of you, it might make you bristle, it's a word called righteousness. And we think of this word righteousness, we can oftentimes think of a long list of do's and don'ts that we need to adhere to, or Mother Superior is going to slap us on the hand, or we're going to get rebuked, we're going to get ostracized, we're going to be shamed. 
And I want you to know this morning that righteousness is not something that should cause the believer to run and fear and hide. And I would also say this, if you're here and you, you've not yet received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, righteousness in and of itself is not something that should cause you to run and leave this church. But righteousness is actually a beautiful gift that God has made available for us so that we can be all that he has called us to be, so that we can be fully made alive in our original intent and purpose, so that we can be free from the captivity of sin, from the captivity of self, and walk in the fullness of life. Righteousness isn't something we should run from. It's something that we should be thankful for. There is a way. Part of why Jesus was crucified is because he made this audacious statement that said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes by the Father but through me. He was speaking to a culture that was much like our own. A lot of times we like to think in our brains. We can only see what's in front of us, and we think that all the problems and the pressures that we face in life are new things. Like, it, man, you know, the Bible, I know it says this, but they weren't dealing with this. Oh, no, they were dealing with even crazier stuff. If you ever read Corinthians, you would see that Paul is writing this this uh, letter to some people that love God, they're walking in great things, and he's like, hey guys, you're doing great, love what I'm seeing. You know, there's a couple things, like some of y'all are sleeping with your mom, we need to stop that, okay? Um, This is not the way that God wants it. Uh, You know, I mean, that's kind of a significant thing, so it's not like all of a sudden we're like, well, we didn't know about these sexual things, we didn't know about these issues back then, no, 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 things were a lot more serious. There's nothing new under the sun. Just like today, this young community is facing the external and some internal pressures of giving in to this universalist mindset, almost new agey thing where we've got to tolerate and be all affirming and accepting of every single belief, this pantheistic, everything, live your truth, everything goes kind of thing that reduces. The only way it works with Christianity is if you renounce that he's actually the one true God, if you renounce that he actually is who he says he is, and just reduce him to a really, really, really nice communicator. That was just short-lived. It's a young tragedy. But he's a great guy. So basically, the only way that's accepting and tolerant of Christ is if you just deny that he's Christ. And then you have the flip side, where some of us maybe have fallen into, where maybe you've got people that it's not so much the pressures outside of the church, it's a lot of the janky stuff inside of the church where maybe it started as good intention at one point, people putting, you know, encouraging people in certain disciplines and in certain convictions, but then over time it got derailed by self and began to turn into a set of rules and hurdles and things that are completely extra biblical, but bring shame and condemnation. You know, there's, you know, I, I look and, and I'm, I'm not you know, casting judgment on different denominations. There's different, a lot of things, you know, within even Every Nation Ministries, which we're a part of, and Multiply Indiana, which we've partnered with here locally in planting churches. We have differences of opinions on certain things. What we things we say is, you know, we major on the majors, we minor on the minors. But there are certain minors that I just think some people just kind of miss out on. And I don't think it's a salvation issue, but I do think you miss out on certain experiences. You know, when 
we got married. We got married. My wife and I got married at a church that you could not, it did not allow musical instruments in worship. And that's their conviction. So we had to, like, stand before, like, the council of elders to get permission to have a violin in our wedding ceremony. You know, and I don't see that in Scripture, but that's what they're abiding by, and that's how they're operating out of. And, and there are other, you know, I remember I attended one church, and it's like your hair needs to be at this length. Women, you need to not wear pants unless there's certain rules. And you ought not, you know, you cannot, it's, it's, it's sin to watch television or any movies. And I had a friend of mine that actually went to one of these churches, and he's good with his hands, and he had a little side business that he would make TV, outdoor TV stands. So technically the TV wasn't in your house. He just put it by a big window. I'm like, come on, y'all. Come on. But even when we look at throughout history and, and church splits, much of it, it wasn't about the instruction of the Lord. It was actually the contraptions of man that got in the way and snuffed out life. And so here in Colossae, they're experiencing both of these things, the external pressures of paganism in their culture. And there happened to be some people coming into the church who were trying to superimpose some of the law and the religious practices pre-Jesus that were more Judaism, uh, more uh, Judaic law and rule rather than the new covenant in Jesus. And so they're feeling this pressure. Now, that is the problem that we often see when it comes to this issue. We talk about the way. The good thing is there is a way. There is a way. God did not just throw us on the planet and say, okay, guys, figure it out. Figure it out. He has a way. Problem is we get in the way often. And anytime we get in the way and it becomes about us and it begins with us, it has to be sustained by our will and it has to be completed by our power and our strength, we will always fail. If righteousness is all about us, it will end in death. That's what the law proved. The law declared and magnified the fact that we can't fulfill the law. That's why we needed Jesus. Because there was none that could fulfill the law perfectly. There was none that could be made righteous in and of themselves. We needed Jesus. Now that's the problem. The problem is us getting in the way. But the provision is himself. So I want to read this passage for you. It's Colossians chapter 2. Verse 6, it says, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of this world, and not according to Christ. So he's giving this exhortation, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy. See to it that no one takes you captive by secular humanism. See to it that no one takes you captive by some pseudo-spiritual bondage. Proverbs say there's a way that seems right to a man that leads to death. There's a way that seems right. How many of you know sometimes you just have a busted seam? 
A lot of us are living our lives on busted seams. We live our lives based upon something that seems kind of right, but over time, it's found weak. Over time, it cannot sustain us. There's a lot of people and intellectuals, and, you know, it's like even when you go, if you've ever gone to Apple, and they have people that are Apple geniuses, just because they call them a genius doesn't mean they're a genius. Right, just because, you know, I worked at Subway and my, my shirt says sandwich artist. You know, just because you got the shirt doesn't mean you're certified. And there's a lot of things that put up the image as though they've got it figured out. There's a lot of ways that, that kind of look like it could be the right way. But underneath the hood, it doesn't work. You know, right now, some of you know, a couple weeks ago, uh, when we had this ice storm, uh, ended up sliding in, into the back of a truck. The truck was fine. My car was not. So my car was totaled, and now uh, in, in the tension of realizing that we of a family of seven are not a one-car family, uh, I've been looking on Craigslist and different things. And, and one of the things that, you know, you're looking for is you're looking for deals. And, and I am like, I, I just look at all these, like, different forums, and I Google the fool out of every possible thing that I could imagine trying to figure out how not to get cheated but how to get the best deal. And, you know, one of the things that I started noticing is there would be these cars that look good. They look really, really nice. And then they just have this little side caveat, and it's like, oh, it's a rebuilt title. And I was like, what's the rebuilt title? What's this? And I started looking into it, and basically a rebuilt title is basically a car that was in an accident. Maybe it was totaled out by the insurance, and then it got rebuilt. And when it comes to these cars, sometimes you can get one that is awesome. It could be a great deal. Because of rebuilt titles, they don't get as much value if they're traded in. Um, and it's really hard to get rid of these cars because of that. Even though they could be rebuilt, they could be restored, everything could be right, and it's great, and it's still. On the flip side, you could have them that are rebuilt that seem nice because they look good on the surface. But once you start driving that thing, you realize why they had to drop the price. You know, there was a notorious wave, particularly during Katrina, of people taking cars that were uh, totaled out because of flood damage. And then they got brought up north and they got rebuilt and uh, sold with plenty of, like, air freshener so you couldn't smell all the mold that had developed on the baseboards until one day you're like, oh, what is this rash that I have? Why am I coughing up my own blood? Um, no, it was rebuilt. It seemed on the surface right, but it was found busted. We don't want to build our lives and our faith on something that seems right, that maybe cleans things up cosmetically but leaves us with tons of internal brokenness and damage. There are plenty of books, self-help books, people you can follow on Twitter and Instagram and their blog that seems right, and mainly why it seems right is because it makes your flesh feel so good. Oh, yes, I totally agree. That's because that area has not been surrendered yet. And so rather than going to God's word 
and going and taking his truth and allowing his truth, which is a double-edged sword, to come and refine us and shape us and chisel us into the masterpiece that he has called us to be, we go and we look for books that will rather just make us feel good for now. You know, it's almost like going in just hospice care where it's like, you know what, we're not going to try, we've, we've given up on actually trying to get whole, we're just going to try to make you feel better on the way down. And we settle for that many times. God's way, God's provision is through his righteousness and sanctification. Now, I want to speak about, I'm going to dig into this more. Righteousness, sanctification. Righteousness is right standing with God. He is holy. He is just. He is right. And we in of ourselves are not. We have been born into sin. We, even our greatest deeds and our best intentions, are but filthy rags before the Lord. And so in a moment... Through Jesus, our debt of sin was paid. So what does this mean? That Christ is the beginning, the sustainer, and the finisher of righteousness. Any righteousness, any way that begins with us leads to death. The only way that leads to life begins and ends and is sustained by Christ. Do you hear me this morning? This is good news. It doesn't mean that there aren't things that we will learn along the way. I'm going to get into that. But that means that our righteousness, our right standing with the Lord is not depending on you figuring it all out. It's all about Jesus. It's not about the length of your skirt. It's not about the cut of your hair. It's not about how many times you said Hail Mary. It's not all the hoops and the jumps and the color of carpet we have or don't have. It's not about any of that. It's about Jesus. It's not about whether you speak in tongues. It's not whether about you got dunked enough. It's not how many times you came forward and how many frequent altar miles you've accrued over time. It's about Jesus. And Colossians and Paul, he's exhorting and he says, particularly as he gets into the latter portion of chapter 1, I want to encourage you, you can read the whole letter in one setting. It is so powerful. You need to go and read it for yourself. Don't just take my word for it. Read this word. But you see that he doesn't start going into all the minutia of this thing and that thing. And you can get free of this spirit if you kind of shake a little bit, turn around and ha! No! He says it's all about Jesus. And anybody that's telling you different is off. Jesus is the, he is the chosen lamb. He is the preeminent king. He is the one by which we are reconciled and made whole and united by him. He is the one that paid the debt. Jesus is the one that did it all. Apart from Jesus, man, we don't have a hope in the world. But thankfully, because of Jesus, we do. And so he exhorts, he's telling them, it begins with Jesus. Jesus is the reconciler. The reason that God can look upon those who have received Jesus as their Lord and Savior and call me righteous is not because I did everything right for a week's time. It's not because, you know, I made it for six months without looking at something off on my computer. It's not because I prayed every single day and I only missed three days from reading my scripture app. 
It's not because I have a never-ending run of my city group, or it's not because I said three nice things before I yelled at my wife. It's not any of that. It has to do with his blood. It's him. When God looks upon me, he calls me righteous, not because of what I've done, but because of his son. Because of his son's blood. Now, he, he, he communicates this. He, he digs this in in Colossians uh, in chapter 2.13, he says, In you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He then says, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. What does this say? This says that righteousness is not about shaming you. It will never be about shaming you. There are certain things that God achieves God's ways through his means. And shame is not a mean of God. It's not a way that he operates. God does not, he does not utilize shame to produce the fruit that he wants to produce in your life. Now, there are times where the conviction of the Holy Spirit will come upon us. And there are nudgings because he loves us that he will speak to us and he will whisper to us and he will allow our conscience to be awakened to realize that might not be a great thing to do. That's why people that don't even follow God because of his mercy, will have a sense, uh, I don't think I should do this. There are times where the conviction of the Holy Spirit may come upon you, but it's always to bring freedom, never to bring shame. In fact, what I love about this passage is it actually says that God put shame to shame. He says, I'm going to come and I'm going to shame every authority and power that's trying to condemn you, every sin that's trying to condemn you and make you feel worthless and make you want to cry and hide. I'm going to come out and I'm going to handle them. You let me handle it. I'm going to put shame to shame. God puts shame to shame on our behalf, not us. So we can be encouraged in that. You know, you should never feel shame. The conviction of the Lord, the nudging, righteousness, the work of sanctification, it should bring life. It might cut, but it's going to bring life. I was talking to my friend, Mr. Kenny. He uh, is a trainer here at the YMCA, and we were having a discussion in our city group, and I said, man, you would know more than many people that there are certain things that to become what you want to become, there's some pain involved. You start feeling things. It's amazing when you start getting, especially at the beginning of the year, you start getting back in, into routines and things, and you're like, that, that day you get that pump, especially if you're like doing squats for the first time in a while, and you try to like show off a little bit, and you're like, oh, I can handle a little bit more weight. <laughs> And then all of a sudden you wake up the next day and you can't walk. And you're like, <laughs> now you realize in order to get the shape that I want, it's going to hurt a little bit. But it should not be shame. God doesn't use shame. The beautiful thing is Jesus, the, the work of righteousness being made right in Jesus, it is done, it is a, done in a miraculous moment. Say miraculous moment. The work of righteousness, it is the work of Christ that is done in a miraculous moment moment. But then there's this other work, and it's called sanctification. Say sanctification. sanctification. Righteousness is a miraculous moment that is the work of Christ. Sanctification is all about mundane movements 
mundane movements that help us to become more like Christ in his ways. In a moment, there is a work of righteousness that is done in you. It is not based on what you've done, and it will never be based upon what you've done. But because the goal was not just for you to get saved and disappear, the goal is for us to become more like Christ, right? The point is for us to be restored and made fully alive in him, for us to rediscover his intent for our lives, not for us to be broken, not for us to be downcast, not for us to be just leftovers and left on a scrap heap. He doesn't just save us and then leave us and just look at us and be like, you know what, you should be glad that I didn't make you go to hell. Don't mess anything up. Shut up. Don't, don't, no, 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 don't mess with that. You already messed up enough. No, he doesn't shun us. He says, you know what, I love you. I've got things that you would never imagine. In fact, if I told you right now what I want you to do, you wouldn't believe me because you're still coming out of that unbelief. You're still learning how to see yourself. You're still trying to believe that you're actually worth my love. But I'm going to help you along the way through many mundane movements, through patience. You know, going back to the car analogy, it's like if you go to an auction, you know, my car, it was totaled out, and they sent it to a facility to be auctioned off. Somebody is going to pay the price for this heap. But then it's one thing to pay the price to buy it. It's another thing to have the skill and the patience to actually fully restore it. I remember a friend of mine, one of my closest friends, he was uh, my best man. One Christmas, I went and hung out with him and his family in Clarksville. And he said, hey, I want you to see something. And he takes me to his, we, were going to, we went to his grandfather's house in Clarksville. He takes me to the garage, and there's this beautiful, beautiful car that his grandfather's been restoring. And he's been working on it for years. And it just made me think about how patient God is with us. He didn't just pay the price, but he's patient, and he takes time, and he works on us, and he doesn't expect us to figure it out all at once. He's not giving up on you. I know there's some of you in here, like these messages, especially if you're a rule follower and you're a task person, you're an achiever, it can be really hard at times for you to receive a message on righteousness and sanctification properly because you just see the list. You see the list of all the things that you need to be and all the things that you want to get to. And you are just, you spend every night, you go to bed feeling defeated because you didn't click everything off the list and you wake up feeling overwhelmed because you know that it's impossible. God wants you to know he's patient. He doesn't expect you to do this all on your own. He doesn't expect you to get it all worked out. In fact, he knows you won't. What his heart is, is that we would trust him. That we would pursue him. And that we would utilize his provision. Here's three things. I'm going to give you these and then we're going to wrap up. Three ways that we can access his provision and his way of doing things. Number one is in scripture. Here we see God has given us his word. We believe that the Bible is the word of God. It is infallible. It is true. It is strong. It is sure. It is not full of a bunch of contradictions. And many times it's misunderstood because people don't know how to read it. 
And what I mean is it's not, it has nothing to do with the language. Maybe you read King James. God bless the King James. You know, there's been all these studies now. Everybody's trying to, like, get modern. And we've been doing, we homeschool our children. We've been doing this classical education model. And they're saying one of the greatest things you could do for your brain is actually to read the King James. A lot of times we think those are the hurdles. Many times the hurdles is just because we, we don't actually read the whole of the Scripture. We get a, an anemic diet of the Word. The Bible says that we are to get the whole counsel of God. You don't want to just pick and choose the little bits that you think apply to you or that sound really good on a Twitter post. But actually get the full context. Understanding what he's, his story unfolding. We did a series recently. We were talking about how when you look at the whole of Scripture and that the whole thing is the gospel, you understand even deeper the grace and the mercy and the love of Jesus. He's given us his word. He's given us his scripture. We've got to read this thing. And you say, well, man, there's a lot of different ways to read it. I understand. One of the things, just to bring clarity, one of the resources that we have is, like I said, we major on the major, we minor on the minors, but we do believe that God wants you to have biblical foundations that are consistent with his word. We have a resource for you. It's called the Purple Book. This is not some weird thing that we just came up with off the top of our head. It's called, it used to be called the Biblical Foundations Book, and because it was purple, everybody called it the Purple Book. So now they call it the Purple Book. But it is a guide to help you understand the biblical foundations of the faith. What is sin? What is salvation? What is repentance? What is lordship? What is spiritual family? What does it mean? What is the importance of prayer and the word and worship and understanding so that you don't just have to take somebody's word for it? So that you don't just have to live by something that seems right, but you can go to his scripture and see it for yourself. His scripture. The second thing is spiritual family. Now I'll tell you this, young Epaphras, who is in the middle of this beautiful community that was growing in Colossae, I tell you this, I bet he was very thankful that there was someone who loved and cared about that community enough that he wouldn't just hear about it. Paul didn't just hear about this community and go, man, that's awesome. Man, great, the gospel is being spread. But he said, you know what, I love you, I want to help you guys grow in the faith. God gives us scripture, he also gives us spiritual family. We can't do this thing alone. You need someone who's a little bit further in the race than you, who is pursuing Jesus and not just their own means, who can help you understand, hey, I found the way out. Come, follow me. I, 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 I've gotten some breakthrough in this area. This is what this word says. I've seen it in practice. Come, follow me. It's why it's so important that you get plugged in, not just with the local church, but you actually find some people who you can look up to, who, like I said, are a couple, one of my pastors, he used to say, how do you know, people would ask him, how do you know when you can disciple somebody? How do you know when you can help them follow Jesus? He said, just stay one chapter ahead of them. You don't have to go to seminary to be able to help somebody walk in the love and, and the faith of Jesus. Like I love, here is Epaphras, he just got saved. Epaphras, Epaphras just gets saved. God is arresting his heart. He gets a little bit of training. He goes back, and then a church springs up. I'm thankful that he just did. I'm sure there was people that were there that were glad he didn't just stay there for like six years before he thought he was qualified enough to tell them of the gospel. You can help someone know more about Jesus. And it takes someone. Whenever you look in the New Testament, Paul himself, he has this incredible, Jesus himself appeared before Paul. You'd have thought, that's a pretty big deal. Jesus hadn't just showed up in the flesh to me, but he shows up to Paul. But what does God do? He sends somebody else. What God does, he sends someone else to Paul. He sends, sends Ananias to him. He sends others to encourage him and train him. God uses people. 
to minister to people. We get to be a part of the process. So he's given us his provision in the scripture. He's given us his provision in spiritual family and also in his spirit. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Now, I know for many, some of you in here, that might be like a foreign thing, and it might seem weird, and maybe you've seen some weird teachings or various things. You know, uh, sometimes, you know, I, we do believe in the current, present-day work of the Holy Spirit. I believe that the Holy Spirit still is at work today, that Jesus, when he ascended to heaven, he said, I'm sending a helper. I'm sending one. And it was the Holy Spirit that the Spirit of God is on the inside of us. And now it's like if you thought you had some awareness because of your conscience, you don't know nothing yet. When the Holy Spirit comes upon us, it's not only giving us insight and clarity in the Scripture. The Holy Spirit will never tell you something that's contrary to the Word of God. Somebody said, how do I know that I'm hearing from the Holy Spirit? you got to take it to the Word. If all of a sudden it doesn't line up with the Word, that ain't the Holy Spirit. It might be a spirit, but it's not the Holy One. He said, you know what, the Lord told me, da 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 you know. And now I've got wings, and I tell everybody I've got wings. You just can't see them. Like, no, that's not the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Bless you. But the Holy Spirit will give us insight and wisdom. And here's the beautiful thing about the Holy Spirit is there will be times because the God knows you. He, he, God knows how to play chess and not just checkers. Right? He knows that there's certain things that you need so that he can refine you and make you more like Jesus? That this other person, that's, that, that's not what they need. I got a different plan for them. See, he's a really good trainer because he's able to identify all of the specific areas that you need help with. I recently read an article as we're getting ready for the playoffs. I'm a big Pacer fan. Woo-woo, Pacers! The playoffs start tonight, and I was reading an article about Victor Oladipo, who happens to be our all-star player, and one of the things that they were saying in this article, and Kyle, why don't you go ahead and come up and play so I can land this thing. Um, But one of the things it was saying in this article is they were fascinated by the leap, not just the literal leap, although that was part of it, but the career leap and the, the leap in excellence that Oladipo made between last year when he was kind of uh, a middling player on Oklahoma City Thunder to this year where he's become an all-star and will very possibly be the most improved player. And one of the key differences is because he went to Miami in the offseason and he met with these specific trainers that are so great at identifying and looking at how your body is made that they're able to identify the specific area that if you would change this and you would tweak this, it would help you grow and make and, and help your body actually be able to withstand the athleticism and the, and the turns and all the things you have to do. And so they looked at him, they analyzed his body, and they recognized that he was not getting enough flexor in his hips. And so they focused on his hips. And they worked that out. And they realized that because of the way his hips were and some things that were there and he didn't have enough flexibility there, that if he continued in that way, that more than likely he was going to be injured and his career would make a downturn. Instead, they were able to make the adjustments so that now his explosiveness not only was there, but it has exponentially increased. And now he's on a path. Now, if they would get a different athlete in, they wouldn't just automatically look at him and be like, oh yeah, it's your flexor, it's your hips. Why? Because they understand that there's a specific plan that this person needs. And that's many times where righteousness has gotten off at times. It's because the Holy Spirit speaks to you. 
and gives you instruction about how to apply this word to a specific area. And then sometimes we think because the Holy Spirit said that to me that I need to apply this to everybody else. So the Holy Spirit told you that you need to get rid of all of your secular CDs. You need to have a detox of your mind. Now I just want to let everybody know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God and the way we, what we allow to come in will affect us in different ways. And so it's good for all of us to take an inventory of what we allow to come into our eyes and come into our ears. But at times, there's been times where God may speak to you, and then all of a sudden you make that into doctrine and say, anybody that has a secular CD is sinning. And now, we got in the way of his way. The Holy Spirit wants to speak to you. Because there's going to be things that he's going to call you to do that's not sin. It's just something that he wants to help you to become more like him. Righteousness isn't all about the do's and the don'ts. It's about you becoming what he's called you to be. I want to end with this. The scripture tells us, I want to say, I believe it's in Philippians. I want to jack it up. Philippians 1.6. It says, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. God made us righteous and makes us righteous in a miraculous moment. But he is faithful to walk with us in the mundane movements till one day we will be fully, fully alive in him. Jesus is the beginning. He is the sustainer. And he is the fulfiller of our righteousness. I want to challenge you. Don't just hear this word and then just kind of like leave it as a good thought. Don't leave on the table what God would do in you, amazing thing. God wants to work on you. Not because you're a broken mess, but because this is what he does. He's a restorer. He purchased you with his blood, and he wants to restore you and fully redeem you. There are dreams right now that are sitting in this room that you know that God's planted, that the only thing that's keeping those from being realized is you learning how to trust God, you learning how to trust his people. Maybe you've been wounded. Maybe you've been hurt by church folk before. That's not like you're not the only one. The challenging and the humbling thing about a community of faith is that as long as there's people there, there's going to be issues. (laughs) Are there any people here today? All right. Thank you for bringing issues. That's just how it is. It's part of the journey. We're all growing in him. We're all learning his ways. And if we can trust him, if we can trust in what he wants to accomplish in us, over time, it will be amazing what we get to see. The richness of community that we get to experience. An atmosphere where people don't feel like they got to have it figured all out to be a part. They know that they're in a community that will love them and be patient with them 
but also speak the truth in love because we actually do love you. I want to end with this prayer that I began with because I believe this is the heart of it all. It's not just so that we do everything right. Lord, I pray, I'm asking you to fill us with the knowledge of your will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that we may walk in a manner worthy of you. That we would walk in a way that is fully pleasing to you. That we would bear fruit in every good work and increase in the knowledge of you. Lord, I pray that you would help us so that we would bear the fruit of love in this community. That we bear the fruit of mercy and forgiveness and reconciliation. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance with patience and joy. Lord, I'm asking that you would strengthen the weak today, that you would strengthen our hearts to endure in the midst of hardship, to endure in the midst of aches and pains, some physical, some emotional. Lord, that you would help us to endure the race in the midst of the external pressures that we feel. Lord, that you would help us to endure as we stand and, and trust and surrender while you shape us and mold us and cut us, chiseling us into a beautiful masterpiece. Lord, help us not to shy away, not to turn and hide, but help us to recognize this process is a demonstration of your love. Lord, help us to give thanks to you who has qualified us to share in the inheritance. Lord, help us to recognize and celebrate the provision of your word. Help us to recognize and celebrate the gift and the provision of spiritual family. Lord, help us to listen, to be sensitive to, and to respond and function out of the leading of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I thank you that you're not finished with me yet, but you are faithful to work in me until it is complete. Help us, Lord, to trust you again. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thanks again for joining us. Don't forget, you can find us online at cityoflights.church and connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.